0: Hi friends, I'm Pastor Jim. Welcome to Faith Brook This Morning online or in person. Wasn't that great worship? I hope you were inspired spiritually. Well if you're a first time guest with us online or in person, we're so happy that you are checking us out. Sometimes it's not easy to check out a new church and we wanna just thank you for giving us your time and worshiping with us. One of the ways we do that is that we wanna send you a thank you email for being our guest. And at the same time, give a donation on your behalf to Feed My Starving Children. So whether you're online or in person, if you would go to our website, faithbrook.church, make a slash, type in guest, then you could fill out a form. And when you trust us with that email, we're just gonna send a personal email back to say, hey, it was great to have you, thank you. And then we're gonna send $5 to Feed My Starving Children. Now, I know that everyone's itching to get out this summer, camp, travel, uh, backyards. And Faithbrook, one of our key values is the journey together. We want to kind of stay connected. So I want you to know that we're going to be open all summer, Sunday mornings. Our kids department is going to be open and we want you to come and visit. If you're away, we're always going to be online. Now, we also are planning on having periodically some connection events. The first one is coming up in a couple weeks on a Tuesday night. It's going to be called Bikes and Barbecue. So we are bringing in Famous Dave's Barbecue and we'll be selling adult plates for $10. It's gonna be have all the works with a drink and a cookie on there. And then the kids' meals are gonna be hot dog plates. They're gonna be free. If you can bring your bike we're, after dinner, we're gonna offer you some tours around the Elm Creek Park. It's a beautiful ride. We're also gonna dedicate, dedicate some places for children to take their tricycles and small bikes to have a great family event. So every month, be looking uh, for the different connection event that we're gonna be doing. We're also looking at family camp in August 12th, August 12th to the 15th. Now, for some of us families, we go up that weekend to a place called Geneva Christian Center. It's on Lake Geneva up in Alexander, Minnesota. It's a great place to bring your bikes and your kids. And some people bring their campers or tents, or you can rent some kind of a lodging up there in cabins. And it's just a great time to chill out. There's some church services. So be looking for more information for that family camp th- this year. If you want more information, just go to two places, our website, and there's an event tab or also our church center app so if you download our church center app this gives you a lot of information right here at your hand i'm looking at it right now there's a place to check in your kids easily there's a place for events it drops down different things that you can plan for through our church also easily to give through this app it's a fantastic tool we're going to continue In our series right now, The Journey of Grace, it's my pleasure to introduce one of our staff members, Pastor Peggy Wagner. She's in charge of our prayer ministry, but also Peggy is a very gifted teacher of the Word of God, and she's going to be teaching us about the value of grace for salvation. So would you give her a warm welcome this morning? Good morning, Faithbrook.
1: It's good to see you all here this morning, most of you smiling at me, I love it, and for those of you who are watching from home, glad to have you with us this morning, so happy that you've come and joined us on this online mode. You know, we've been talking about grace for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to be talking about it for a few more weeks, but we've also been talking about this journey of life we take across the stage of life from the door of birth, there's two doors we all walk through. first one is the door of birth. Anybody here that's not been born? I'm worried about you. Okay. But we start out at the door of birth, and we walk across the stage of life to the door of death, the other door that we're all promised in life, two doors that we have to go through and we talk about this journey of life that we take and what we want to talk about in these series on grace is making this a journey of grace. It's a little different than just the journey of life, but we really want to talk about grace. You know and what is grace? You know, we use that word in so many different ways that it's kind of hard to narrow it down to when we talk about God's grace, what is it? You know, we talk about how she moves with grace. You know, an elegance about her. Or that somebody graces us with their presence. He had the grace to admit he was wrong. We say grace before meals. We stay in people's good graces in their favor. Um, We talk about a title of privilege when we call, for example, the queen, your grace. Grace. And then there's a grace period that we're all grateful for, that temporary exemption from whatever it is we have to pay up or to do. And for you musicians out there, you come across grace notes. And so you have all of these things about grace, all these definitions. And when you zero in on God's grace, what does that mean? Well, for our purposes, when we think about God's grace, it's about receiving something that we do not deserve. It's grace that comes from God, unmerited favor. We can't earn it, we can't buy it, we can't achieve it. It's free of charge. God's grace coming into our life. You know, Philip Yancey in one of his books on grace talked about a group of theologians that got together one day and they were talking about comparative religions. And the question they had to answer was, what belief, if any, is unique to Christianity? And so they talked about the incarnation, God becoming man. they said, well, you know, other religions, their gods appear in human form. So it can't be the incarnation. Well, we rest our laurels on the resurrection. Well, there are other religions where people have returned to life. The resurrection is important, but it's not the one belief that's unique. And about that time, C.S. Lewis walked into the room, and they told him what the question was, and he said, Well, that's easy. It's grace. It's simply grace. Uh, It's God, love, coming free, free of charge to us, unconditional. You know, Buddhists have their eightfold path. Hindus have their karma. Jews have their covenant. The Muslims have their code of law. All of those are ways to get approval of their God. But only Christianity has grace. Only Christianity makes God's love unconditional. That's grace. You know, last week we talked about seeking grace, that grace that goes before. You know, when we, we looked at it like the hound of heaven. He is pursuing us. He's seeking us. He will follow us from that door of birth to that door of death, trying to get our attention, seeking us, wanting us, desiring us. That's our God. You know, Psalm 39 kind of describes that. It says, you hem me in. You go before me. You go behind me. Where can I go to get away from your presence? Nowhere. Because he will seek you out wherever you are, always pursuing us, always calling us. But our relationship with God is a two-way street. He pursues us. He seeks us. His seeking grace is after us. But we have to respond to that seeking grace. And so today we're going to talk about saving grace. That's our response to his seeking us. God takes the first step, coming after us, chasing us down, and we respond by acknowledging that, gra- that grace and accepting that Christ died for us on the cross so that we might get to know the heart of the Father. To know the heart of the Father, to experience the unconditional love of God, to experience his saving grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 Says it like this For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not based on our performance, it's based on His love. You know, last week, Pastor Jim talked to you about the parable of the vineyard. You know, the vineyard owner went down to the temporary employment agency about 8 o'clock in the morning, and he hired some workers for his vineyard. Well, 11 o'clock comes around, and he becomes aware that we're not going to get this job done today unless I get more workers. So he goes back, and he gets some more workers. And about 3 o'clock, we've got to get this done. I need some more guys. And so he goes down to the agency, and he gets a few more. And at the end of the day, he pays them all the same. You see, for us, it doesn't matter where you are on the stage of life. When you come to God, when you step into that saving grace, we all are going to get the same reward. God's seeking grace is still at work in your life, no matter where you are as you walk across this stage. Now, I'm a lot closer to this door than I am to that door. Many of you are here with me. (laughs) Some of you are very close to that door yet. You know, but we don't know how long we've got on this earth. You know, haven't we all lost somebody? We said they died way too young. You know, we've lost children. We've lost teenagers, young adults, middle-aged adults, and some of us that are more mature adults. You know, some of us get to live a little bit longer and see all of life. But at some point in this walk across the stage of life, we have to make a decision and respond to God seeking grace in our life. You know, it's like the Apostle Paul said he was the greatest of all sinners. We're all great sinners in need of a great Savior. And that's Jesus Christ. You know, and sometimes we think that we have to get ourselves all cleaned up. And then we can come to Christ. You know, but the Apostle Paul tells it a little bit differently. In his letter to the Romans, he says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to get it all cleaned up. He took us just as we were. You know, one of the, the best illustrations of the saving grace is found in a series of parables that we find in Luke chapter 15. There's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. You know, the shepherd has... A hundred sheep and 99 of them are safe in the pen. One of them isn't there. And that shepherd goes and looks for that sheep until he finds it. And then he celebrates, rejoices over finding that one sheep. The little lady that lost her coin, she tore the whole place apart looking for it. And she searched until she found it. And then she had a party and celebrated that she found that one lost coin. And then the parable of the sun You know, we often call that the parable of the prodigal son. It's probably more appropriately called the parable of the loving father. You know, and that's the parable that I want us to focus on this morning. You know, dad has two sons. And the youngest son came to him and said, Dad, I'm tired of this farm life. I'm tired of this whole thing. I want my inheritance, and I want it now. Well, in the ancient Middle East... The sons got the inheritance when the father died, and it was divided into portions, and the oldest son would get double portion from the rest of the sons. So there's two sons here. That inheritance is split three ways. The oldest son gets two portions. The younger son gets one. If there were five sons, they would have split it six ways. The oldest son got a double portion. And so what this younger son is really saying to his dad is, I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance. Now the father didn't argue with him. He did whatever he had to do legally to declare himself dead, basically, and to give his sons their inheritance. Because you can't give an inheritance to one son without giving it to both. And so he divvied up his inheritance and he gave it to his sons. Now this younger son took his money and left for the big city. The rich farm boy going to the city, and he began to spend his money lavishly and foolishly, hung out with friends that maybe weren't too good for him. And before he knew it, he'd run out of money, and he'd run out of friends. And he's in the city with no money, no friends, he's got to do something, and so he finds a job feeding the pigs. Now think about that, this is a Jewish boy feeding pigs. And he's hungry, and so he begins to eat the food that he's feeding to the pigs. One day he comes to his senses, and he says, my dad's servants are living better than I am. Maybe I could go home and become a servant to my father. And so he heads home. And the scriptures tell us that while he's still a long ways off, his father sees him coming. Over the horizon, dad sees somebody coming. He recognizes that gate. He would know his son anywhere. You know, and in the Middle East, men walk slowly and stoically, steadily. They would never run. It's humiliating. This father didn't care. He ran to meet his son, arms wide open. And the son begins to apologize and say, I want to be your servant. And dad says, no, 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 hush. You're my son, and you've come home, and we're going to have a party. And he instructs his servant to go kill the fatted calf because my son, who was lost, has come home. You see, the son didn't understand the heart of his father. The love of the father that's willing to put everything behind, willing to forget it all, because he's got the unconditional love for his son. And he welcomes him home. He extended grace to his son. Now, if we were to look at that story in modern day, it might go something like this. You know, the 17-year-old girl that lives in a fairly average-sized city in northern Minnesota, grown up in a great home with a great father, but she's getting real tired of how he hovers over her. He wants to know all of her friends. He wants the party at their house so he can be- become familiar with who she's hanging out with. Every time she goes on a date, the guy's got to pick her up at the house and meet dad. He's harping on her all the time about that nose ring she's got. And absolutely not are you going to get a tattoo. You're going to do your homework, you're going to do your chores around the house. You're going to be a part of this family. You're going to participate in what we do. And finally, one day, she does what she's been thinking about doing for a long time, and she runs away. She finds herself on the streets of Minneapolis, where she knows nobody. The second night she's there, she meets a guy that's got this big, beautiful car, and he takes her out for a nice dinner, and he goes and he buys her some clothes that her father would never let her wear. He takes her home and he gives her a home and he begins to teach her what men like. And then he begins to send her out with his friends night after night after night. And she makes him a lot of money. But then one day she starts to show signs of disease and she's no longer valuable to him. And he turns her out on the street. She's by herself on the streets of Minneapolis, doesn't have friends, doesn't have any money, tries to sell herself doesn't make what she used to make. And one day she, she's behind a restaurant scraping food that the patrons didn't finish, trying to get a meal out of the fries or the pizza, whatever might be in the dumpster that day. She thinks, you know, maybe what I should do is go home. She finds someone with a telephone and she picks it up and she calls her dad. She gets his voice message. She says, Dad, it's me. I'm thinking about coming home. I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm thinking about coming home. And she hangs up. And a couple days later, she finds someone with a phone that she borrows, and she calls again. Dad, it's me again. I'm really seriously thinking about coming home, and in fact, I'm getting on a bus on Thursday, and it gets into town about 7 o'clock Thursday night. I'm coming home. I don't know if you'll be there or not, if you'll get this message or not but if you're not there I'm just going to get back on the bus and I'll keep on going and so that Thursday night she gets on the bus and she's thinking I don't even know if he got the message I'm calling from numbers he won't recognize I don't even know if he'll pick it up I don't know if he'll check his messages and what's going to happen if I get there and he's not there and so as they, drive, yeah, as they get into town, the bus driver says, we're going to be here for 15 minutes, then you all need to be back on the bus. We're going to be pulling out. 15 minutes, that are going to change your life, one way or the other. And as she gets off that bus, she walks into the station. and She hears cheers and applause. And there's a big banner that says, welcome home. And out of the crowd of people that are there, Her dad rushes out of that crowd and embraces her in his arms. And she starts to apologize. Dad, I'm so sorry. No, hold the apology. We don't need the apology because there's a party at our house. And we're going to be late to the party. You're my daughter. And you've come home. You see, she didn't understand the heart of her father. He needed to. He wanted to protect her throughout her life. From the time she came through that door of birth, he's been protecting her and caring for her and trying to teach her what's best for her. And so now he puts it all behind him. It doesn't matter where she's been. It doesn't matter what she's done. His daughter has come home. She didn't have to get cleaned up for him to accept her back. She just needed to go home and let the love and the grace of her father pour into her life. Now, in the book Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the main character is a guy by the name of Christian. And Christian keeps choosing the wrong road. He keeps choosing the wrong friends. But every time he fails, he allows God to pick him up, dust him off, and send him back on down the road. Now, he made progress not by always making the right decisions, but by responding in the right way when he made the wrong decisions. You know, and we are all gonna make decisions that might not be right. They might be the wrong ones. But while we step into the saving grace of the Father and allow him to pick us up, dust us off, and send us on our way. Now, in the story of the prodigal son, there's a second son, the older son. He's the guy who got the double portion. He got the farm. It's all his. And for all these years, he's been close to dad. He stayed home. He's done what he has to do. He's worked the farm. And one day on his way in from his his farming duties, he hears all this noise and celebration coming from the house. And a servant comes out to meet him. And he says, what's all the noise? It sounds like a party to me. And the servant says, it is. Your younger brother has come home. And your dad has thrown a party. The older son is angry. He refuses to even go into the house, refuses to go into the party. That's a humiliation to his father. So his father has to come out to invite him in, to ask him to please come in and celebrate. Your younger brothers come home. He was lost, but he's found. He's home. We're celebrating his return. But this son refuses to rejoice with them. He's upset. He's worked all his life for his father. And his father has never killed a fatted calf for him. And the father just looks at him and says, Son, remember the inheritance? This is all yours. All these fatted calves are yours. You've got everything. It's all yours and nothing's going to change that. Yeah, your younger brother wasted his inheritance, but you've got it all. But the older son didn't understand the heart of the father. You know, and there may be some of us that are kind of like that older son. We grew up in a Christian home. We've been going to church all of our lives. You know, we're here. Every time the door is open, we're here. We volunteer. We work. We do all kinds of things to serve Christ and the church. But we may have never come to the point where we've made it our own, where we've stepped into that saving grace on our own merit. You know, more and more, Christians are deciding that it's what I do. It's about deeds. It's not about Jesus. And that takes away the grace. You know, we face the, the danger that this has all become learned behavior. And it's not done out of the transformation of a heart that saving grace can bring. Romans 3, 23, we've probably all memorized at some point in our life. But it goes on to verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Yeah, we're saved, we're redeemed, and it's free to us through Christ Jesus. It's only through the saving grace of Christ that we come to him. And now to receive grace, you have to have empty hands. If you're carrying around a whole lot of baggage and luggage with you, things from the past, your hands are full. There's no room to receive grace. So giving up all of that baggage, all of that anger, all of the grudges that the older son was carrying around, giving all of that up, that's repentance. For the younger son, repentance was the trip home and it ended with a celebration. The older son couldn't find a way to celebrate. He's still carrying the grudge. He's carrying the anger. He's going to have to lay all of that down to find grace. You know, we don't know where we are on this journey across this stage. Are we close to the door of birth, or are we getting closer to the door of death? We don't know where we are, but we can know where we are on the journey of grace. Are we still living with the seeking grace, the hound of heaven chasing after us, seeking us, or have we stepped into the saving grace of God? You know, no one is too far away from God that they can fall below where God can reach you. It was said like this, you can't do anything that will cause God to love you less. And you can't do anything that will cause God to love you more. It's all about his unconditional love, his grace. It's not about us. It's not about our performance. You know, one of the things that I love about scripture is that God hangs out all his dirty laundry. You know, we don't read about people that get cleaned up and then God uses them. There's story after story in that book that describes how God is using moments of failure in the lives of his people to make them stronger. I mean, go to the Bible and look at the people God loved. There's Abraham, the liar. I mean, twice he told people that Sarah was his sister rather than his wife to save his own skin. Twice he got caught in the lie. And yet the covenant promises of God continued through him to the Israelite people. Or Moses. Moses was a murderer with an anger problem. He had to flee Egypt because he murdered an Egyptian. Yet God used him to deliver the Israelites out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt and take them to the edge of the Promised Land. Because of his anger problem, he didn't get to go in, but he got them right to the edge. Or David. David. The beloved king of Israel, an adulterer and a murderer. And yet when he repented, God says he's a man after my own heart. And became the most beloved king in all of Israel's history. Fast forward to the New Testament and take a look at Peter. This rough, brisk fisherman. Always going headlong into the scene. Not thinking too clearly all the time about what he's going to do, taking that action. Three years he spent as a disciple of Jesus, following him everywhere he went. And then on the night that Jesus is betrayed, he denies that he even knows him. I don't know the man. Three times. But Jesus, Jesus took him aside one day and restored him. Peter repented. Christ restored him, and he became the great Pentecost preacher that preached the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the known world. And the church grew under Peter's leadership. Or there's Paul. Paul was a human rights abuser. He persecuted the followers of Christ. Until one day, God knocked him flat on his face on the road to Damascus. And Paul learned that God had something for him. He repented and became the greatest missionary the church has ever known. Half of the New Testament is written by Paul. The messages to the sinners of the world is in the books that Paul wrote. You know, you look at the people that Jesus loved in his ministry. There's the prostitute. The woman caught in adultery. The outcasts of society, the lepers, the mentally ill, the beggars, the lame, the blind. And Jesus reached out and touched people that were not to be touched in society. And then there was the thief on the cross, the last one that Jesus forgave. All of these were forgiven and they were transformed. You know, everyone fails And we have a gracious God that offers forgiveness and grace. No one is irredeemable. The exciting thing about this journey of grace is that we are loved by God, we are forgiven by God, and we're invited to the banquet table. God's going to get his family back, and we're all invited to come to that banquet table. You know, Jesus talks about that that day when he says, all those who know the heart of the Father and have stepped into the saving grace are going to gather around the banquet table together in the kingdom. But what do we get from the saving grace while we're on this journey from the door of birth to the door of life? What do we get today as we walk that journey? Well, one of the things that we get As we get to experience more joy. There's more pleasantness in the walk. You know, we're going to have disappointments. We're going to experience pain in our lives. We're human beings on the journey from birth to life. We're going to experience what other human beings experience. But we're going to have this peace and this joy that's going to help get us through all those hard times that come our way. You know, Psalm 2911 has a promise that says this, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And that's just not in eternity. That's today. He gives us strength and he gives us peace. The second thing we're going to get is to live with the fruits of the spirit becoming more and more evident in our life. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I don't know about you, but I have some trouble with some of these fruits day to day, and I'm still working to see them more consistently in my life. But as we grow in this grace, the fruit will become more consistent in our life. As we walk this journey of grace, wherever we are on it, the fruit of the Spirit will become more consistent in our life. The Barnard Group did a study a few years ago. They interviewed young people that were not involved in church. 84% of them said they knew at least one committed Christian. One committed Christian that could influence their life. But only 15% of them said that that committed Christian lived a life that was significantly different from everybody else. Now, that's a sad commentary on the the fruits of the Spirit. You know, and as we walk, we may encounter somebody that we are the only committed Christian they will know, and we need to be allowing the fruits of the Spirit to pour through us into their lives, that they see something consistent in our life that's different from everybody else they know. You know, there was an old man and his son that collected art together, They loved artwork, and they collected these valuable pieces of art from all over the world. And they loved to walk through their house together and stand in front of these pieces of art and just admire them and talk about the the artist, talk about the picture, what does it mean, what's included in it. And they would do this day after day. They just loved it. They'd go to galleries, and they'd go to auctions, and they'd buy new art together and then one day the notice came the son was going to war he was getting drafted going off to war and the father would walk through the house and look at the art and miss the fellowship of the son talking about the art with him a knock came on the door one day and as the father opened the door there were two soldiers there his son had died in battle the father was devastated He didn't know how he was going to go on living his life. His son was gone. He no longer walked through his house admiring his art. He sat in his chair in front of the fireplace, and that million-dollar piece of art over the fireplace wasn't worth it to him anymore. And then on Christmas morning, there was a knock on the door, and a young man stood at the door, and he said, "'Sir, you don't know me, but I knew your son. In fact, I was in the battle with him the day he died.' And I'm somewhat of an artist, and I painted this portrait of your son, and I thought maybe you'd like to have it. And the father took that picture, and it was an amazing likeness to his son. And he took down that million-dollar piece of art over his fireplace, and he hung up the portrait of his son. And he'd sit in that chair day after day and stare at that portrait of his son. Well, When the father died, his will set up an auction. They were going to auction off all of the artwork that was in his house. Every piece of it was going to go. Dealers came from all over the country, anxious to get their hands on some of this artwork. And as the auction started, the auctioneer brought out the first piece of art and put it up and said, who will bid on this first piece? It was the portrait of the son. Nobody wanted it. The, the place went nuts. Come on, bring out the artwork. We came to bid on the million dollar pieces of art that are all over this house. We don't want a picture of the sun. He said, Well, the will says that before the auction starts, the first piece that has to go is the picture of the sun. So we can't do anything else until we sell the picture of the sun. Well, there's a little farmer in the back corner, and he said, Sir, I knew the boy. I lived just right down the road. He was a good kid, and I guess I can buy that picture, but all I can give you is maybe $50 for it. And the auctioneer said, I got $50. Anybody else have a bid? And the room was silent. Sold to that guy for $50. And, he said, and with that, the auction is concluded. And the place went nuts. What do you mean the auction is concluded? Well, the will says... Whoever takes the sun, gets it all. You know, and that's kind of what it's like for us. Whoever takes the sun gets it all. What's the all that we get? All the promises of God we find in the scriptures. Thousands of promises are ours because we stepped into saving grace and took the son. If we take the son... We get it all. You know, and the last thing we get, maybe the most important, is eternal life. You know, someday we're all going to walk through that door of death. On the other side is eternity. You know, how long is eternity? It's really hard to kind of get our arms and our minds around eternity. But I want to demonstrate it for you with this little rope. This little red tip on the end Represents the door of birth and the door of death. That represents our life on earth. And then eternity. You know, and if we believe the scriptures, there's a heaven and a hell on the other side of that door. And I hear people say that if God is a loving God, He wouldn't send anyone to hell. And He won't, but He allows us to choose it for ourselves. By rejecting that seeking grace and not stepping in to saving grace. The choice we make when we respond to seeking grace. And when we respond by stepping in to saving grace, we get an invitation to the banquet, to the celebration when God gets his family back. You know, Luke 15:7 says it best: there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. When we come to Christ, there's rejoicing. But here's the catch. Walter Trobisch put it this way. Christ accepts us as we are, but when he accepts us, we cannot remain as we are. Every call to repentance is a call to discipleship. And we're going to hear more about that next week. But for today, God wants to set us free. You know, the overarching theme of the Bible, God gets his family back. From the first book of Genesis to the last book of Revelation, we read the stories of wayward people and the lengths to which God is going to reach them, to bring them home, his seeking grace And then it ends with this huge family reunion, a huge celebration for all of those who have stepped into his saving grace. And this morning, if you haven't made that decision for yourself to come home, to run into the loving arms of the Father, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. The worship team is going to come this morning, and we're going to close with a song that talks about running To the Father. And as they come, I want us to all pray this prayer together. You can stand as we pray it and then remain standing for the song. But let's just pray this prayer together, everybody. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and there is nothing I can do to save myself. I realize that my sin has separated me from you. I believe that Christ did all that will ever be necessary for me to stand in your holy presence. I need and I want your forgiveness. I repent of my sins and ask for your forgiveness. I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart that Jesus is your son and that he died for me. Now, if you've sincerely prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, you've stepped into saving grace. You've got an invitation to the banquet. On the other side of that door, it's for you. If you're watching online, it's for you as well. You may not be here in this room with us, but God is seeking you and reaching out to you this morning. So as we sing this morning, reflect on the words of this song and see what God is calling you to this morning.
0: beautiful message of salvation and God's grace. This morning, if you felt like you could identify with that person that kind of just walked away from God, maybe you had a relationship at one time, but just got busy and drifted and turned your back on the Heavenly Father. But today, you just felt God's presence calling you home and you spiritually said that prayer and in your heart, turned around and ran to the father. The father ran to you. This morning we'd like to just make sure that we just connect that really well. Pastor Peggy is going to be at the back and she's going to be holding one of these books, The Promises of God. When you get God, you get all of his promises. If if you have if you've said that prayer for the first time ever or maybe in a long time, you just we came back to Christ, we'd like for you to just walk up to her and say, I'd like to have one of those books. That's your way of telling God, telling Pastor Peggy, i made said that prayer and we just want to shake your hand and, and God bless you and give you one of these promised books. If you're online and you said that prayer too, you received God's grace for your salvation. We'd like for you to indicate that to our host. And uh, we're going to reach back out to you. But God was in the house this morning. Thank you for coming today. And uh, you are dismissed. God bless.